Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and flustered parent. <laughs> Welcome to Weekly Behind the Scenes DM Only Livestream Crafting Icewind Dale, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frostbaden. If you are playing characters of Valravin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, turn back now. This is not meant for you. If you're a baby, please go to sleep. It's your nap time. Uh, otherwise, for the rest of you, welcome, and I do appreciate all the comments. Thank you. Uh, we stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. You can watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube channel and read weekly session recaps at RogueWatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson. Join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out Patreon.com slash RogueWatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net. For streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I have basically rolled a, a nat one on my... Uh, parenting D20. So now I have a uh, co-pilot who is supposed to be napping right now, but uh, has decided she wants to see how I build a D&D encounter instead. Alright, let's do this. So, um, what have we got coming up? Um, we finished the Beautiful Mine. We finished our first big quest, which means we're going to level the players up to four. Oh no, sorry, three. <laughs> we started them at two. We're only level three, gosh. Uh, which means we're going to be getting a little dicey for mountain climb, isn't it? Uh, hello, Michael, Farty, Jerome, a lazy DM. Listening to the idiot work, don't tell the boss. Well, my boss is sitting here uh, on my lap. Uh, should be napping right now. Pegleg, good to see you. Nathan, Lumpy. Um, I think I'm going to introduce... The Korra's Lost Quest, actually, first for the players. Um, I talked about uh, that one in an earlier crafting stream where you can easily slot that into whatever inn or... Uh... By the way, I hope you all can hear me just fine. I'm kind of having to scoot back a little further so that my 11-month-old uh, doesn't pound the keyboard and accidentally mess things up. <laughs> Hopefully I'm coming through okay. Um, but I mentioned the fact that you can insert that one, which is not technically a quest... Uh, instead, it's just something that points players from one town to another. In this case, it is... Where are the towns? Right there. Uh, I believe it's originally in Bremen at the inn. Uh, so Cora is the innkeeper who uh, 
tells the players that her son basically found a piece of Shardalin, the black ice, and it slowly corrupted him. And then some a pair of tieflings came to the inn and talked to him. And then he said, I'm going to leave with them. Uh, screw you, mom. <laughs> and uh, the only thing she knows is that he went to one of the... Uh, they mentioned a castle. Uh, offered Huar sanctuary in their castle. And there are two castles in the area that she knows of, which is uh, Kerr Konig and Kerr Denival. So basically that points the players to one of those locations and maybe kind of teases the whole Shardlin thing, which is really cool. So I think I'm going to go ahead and make Korra an innkeeper in uh, Tourmaline because they're there. They have to long rest anyway to level up. And uh, that's just an easy thing I can introduce, which is like, hey, the innkeeper comes up to you and says, and it makes sense because they just solved a big uh you know, quest uh, mission in the city, so the people would be warming up to them, so that would be a pretty easy uh, addition to make. So we're going to make uh, Korra the innkeeper at just whatever the inn is in Tourmaline. Then it's the North Look one. Tourmaline, where are you? The east side. East side is the one. So I'm kind of skipping this whole um, whatever this weird poem thing is. Um... And so we're going to make uh, Korra the innkeeper, and, you know, her husband's like a miner in the mine, for example, and uh, the son is a grown man. I think he's supposed to be like, a, you know, 17 or 18 or something. Just that the age where I'm kind of going to tease, like, maybe he's just like a rebellious asshole, but also he actually did find this, um, you know, piece of black ice. And I really want to tease the fact that Shardlin is a major part of this campaign, and it has... Um, corrupting effects on people, which I asked in the Discord, and I'm going to ask all of you... Um, what would be... Thank you. I could use some of that. Mmm, that's good stuff. Um, what would be the best mechanics to use uh, for Chartelin to if the players get their hands on it, which I imagine they would, and, and how would I translate that to um, if they were to wield Chartelin weapons or items or something like that? So if any of you have good ideas for that uh definitely let me know because i think the only one in the book is listed under the one stat block we have which is the shardlin berserker which we'll get to that in a moment as i craft this next encounter which by the way is a cr4 which this is one of those examples where the players have no idea how powerful a uh, foe is because this just looks like a random dude who's just crazed right and you're, you don't think like that person would be <laughs> that powerful, but this dude's got an average hit points of 90 and three attacks. Uh, that could be a very scary party wipe. She's like, what the fuck are you talking to, Dad? Jesus. Uh, however, it's got this interesting uh, quality where you have to roll a d6 at the start of each turn, and if you roll a 1, he straight up does nothing. It's like a self-stun, which is a pretty big deal, especially if I've only got one of them and I actually end up uh, rolling that, which I could... Yeah. I could hand wave that away because that's going to be a DM side roll. The players have no idea that's even a thing. Um, and I'm tempted if I only have one of them is to leave that in my pocket, not necessarily leave it up to the dice, but just say, okay, if this thing is just wrecking the players, then I can have a turn where he's just sitting there stunned. Or in the future, if I've got multiples, then I can play the fact that, you know, yeah, Shardalan kind of can makes you just stay there and be stunned. So that could be an interesting, uh, kind of debuff to have. But I think if you look under the bio section, 
Uh, let's see. A character who claims one or more of these weapons can be corrupted by them. Each day at dawn, roll a d6 for each such weapon in the character's possession on a roll of one. The character... So you've got a one in six chance every day that you have one of these weapons. And if you roll a one on any of those days, you then have to make a charisma save. If you then fail that charisma save, you become an evil NPC under the DM's control. Now... Obviously, this is problematic for several reasons, but what I don't like is that it goes from 0 to 60, right? Like, yes, you have two different uh, thresholds to pass, which is A, you have to roll a 1 on a d6, and B, you have to fail a charisma save. But then it's just instant, like, you are fine one day, and then the next you're just completely insane. You're not even a playable character anymore. That I don't like. I feel like there needs to be a graduating series of corruption to where the players are well aware of the risk and reward of having this thing. And I would like if they could come up with some way of actually being able to transport or handle this stuff. Also, why are the Knights of the Black Sword able to use this stuff? Um, because that's their whole thing, is they're, they're wielding, like, Shardalan weapons, but they're not being corrupted by it. And I don't know if it actually says why that's the case. See, Shardalan amulets. Been corrupted. So it just says the same thing there. Each day at dawn, they just become... On a roll of one, the character must be a DC 10 Christmas saving throw become lawful evil. Lawful evil character. Nope, don't go under there. Cassie. Shit. Hey, stop. Nope. Hold, please. I just saw my wire start moving. I was like, no, don't crawl under there. There's nothing good that can happen under there. Yeah, I know you're tired. We're all tired, baby. Maybe fail the stealth check. Yeah. Thankfully, they usually do that. Parents usually get an advantage on perception. The funny thing is, if the baby is being too rambunctious, or the scarier thing is, if it's quiet. <laughs> if it's ever super quiet in the house, like, all right, what are you doing? <laughs> super, super stealth. Uh, super suspicious. Um, so, basically, I'm trying to come up with... I don't necessarily need it right now, but I need to come up with a a solid system to use Shardalan because I would like the players to be able to incur that risk if they want and have them be actual, like, um, you know, magic items, for example, that would be pretty powerful. Basically, I want to I wanna make Shardalan, like, cursed magic items that they are, like, plus ones or they have some kind of cool benefit. Maybe they, like, um, you know, if you have the amulet, maybe you can cast spells at a higher level or something that's that's really powerful, but you have to incur a risk of it being cursed but I don't like the idea of it instantly being like, okay, well, if you fail these two things, then you just become a non-playable character that's just evil. Like, that doesn't seem right to me. It needs to be like a gradual thing or have something that's less, like, incredibly debilitating. And I would like to flavor it where um, it's like a willpower thing, which maybe that can be part of the charisma save, where, uh, you know, players can... And NPCs, too. Like, I would like NPCs, for example, the higher-level members of the Black Swords cult, to be able to wield Shardalan and not go insane. Instead, they just draw power from it because they, you know, made an initial save or something successfully. Um, so they're not being corrupted necessarily. Or maybe they can... It staves the corruption off for a while. So I haven't nailed any of that down yet, um, but that's something to think about. Because with this session, we're going to start teasing the Shardalan things in two different ways. Um, the first is by this quest. We're going to introduce Korra, and she's going to tell the players basically the same thing, which, as, as what's written in the book, um, I don't know. 
I initially thought, okay, I'm just going to have this big info dump. She's just going to tell the players everything she knows, which is what I just said earlier, which uh, he found, you know, he was out. I'm going to get rid of the part about trying to find the stupid speaker that goes missing, which is the guy from Bremen. Um, he was just out exploring as kids do. Well, not kids, a teenager. Um, you know, it's kind of like a rebellious, not necessarily a, a, a mean kid or anything, but just, you know, very uh, much has like the wanderlust, for example. And uh, he one day didn't come back. And they sent out a search party, couldn't find him. Everybody's worried. They have the worst night of their life. And the next morning he comes home, but he's all frostbitten and stuff. But he's got this haunted look in his eyes. And he's all, and he's acting different. And uh, and he's really snappy. And uh, it's it's just, you know, and she's like, I don't, it, he's just acting strange. And then one day while cleaning her room, which all of this is in this story, I believe, um, she finds that shard of black ice and uh and he it sounds like a uh like a after school special right where she finds like the bag of drugs or something and he comes in and he snaps at her um and threatens to kill her and everything and and she's all worried about it uh and then the next day or whatever it is these these two tieflings come at the inn and they meet him i'm not sure if they actually come because they're like somehow tracking shardlin and stuff or if it's just random happenstance that they happen to be traveling around they stay at the same and notice the fact that he's you know acting all crazy and they're like hey come with us and the one thing she notices two things one that these tieflings have this um a similar looking black ice slash chardelin amulet that they're wearing and two that they mention a castle and there are only two castles in the region which is caradineville and Kerconic. although i think the run at Kerconic is a ruin but i think cora just doesn't know that um Short-term madness to start, move to long-term to carry the item. Yeah, madness is probably the easiest way to do it. The only thing is, I guess, got to figure out, like, how often do you have to do that? You have to roll every day. Um, is it every time you choose to wield that item or that spell? No, no, no. I feel you going down there. That's not a good way to go. No, ma'am. We're not going down there, Cass. No, we're not. Yeah. You son of a bitch. But madness is is certainly the best one to go for. Um, and you could even go longer. You could go because I think short term is meant to be in combat, right? It's like a round or something, um, or maybe a minutes. And then long term is meant to be, I think, hours maybe or days. Uh, I mean, hours to where it equals days. And I think indefinite is just you are permanently scarred. So uh, that's that's more of a graduating factor that I would look at for sure. Um, but initially, the players aren't going to be able to get their hands on it either way. So I don't necessarily have to nail this down. Uh, right now um but i wasn't sure how much to make this an investigation because i know the players like to do investigations but it doesn't necessarily make sense if she's like um if she just talks about this and then maybe doesn't know the information about like where they were going or something and then what do they do like do they go to his room and search like why wouldn't have she have obviously searched his room or you know it just seems like she would know all that information and there wasn't there wouldn't be any steps for them to find other than Maybe she knows like what direction they left, but the problem is I don't. Uh, the players already know where they're going. I'm already prepping the mountain climb mission. I'm not necessarily wanting them to follow this lead right now. Uh, instead, I, that's kind of, kind of giving them this information because I want to add it to their future quest log. Basically, they're not designed to pick this up and immediately switch gears and say, "Oh, we need to follow this along." Especially because I'm I want to point them to one of these two uh, towns. They won't know which one to go for to uh, first. And the reason I'm doing this in Tourmaline is because, whoops, you can touch the keyboard there. Um, 
I, they're going towards Kelvin's Cairn. They're doing mountain climb. And then from there, they already have a quest in Karakana to check on Trovis. And then they're going to have another quest to look for this woman's uh, son. So, which would be either Karakana or Karakana. So, basically, I'm kind of nudging the players into taking this counterclockwise... No, way, that is clockwise. <laughs> which way do clocks move? Uh, a clockwise... Um, motion around 10 towns. They started in Bryn Chander, they went to Targos, they're at Tourmaline, they're going to Kelvin's Cairn, and then I'm basically nudging them like, hey, after Kelvin's Cairn, why not go to Kirkconig? Why not go to Kirkdenaval? You know, go in that kind of uh, circular pattern and then hit up all those towns because I've got all those different quests. And then of course, I've got, you know, the Unseen in Kirkconig and Black Swords in Kirkdenaval. So we can hit all of those up. Boom, boom, boom. So yes, it's an open world modular campaign, but I can, you see, I can kind of nudge the players into different directions, knowing that the way most of us play open world RPGs is you look at the map and you say, okay, I'm going to go here and I'm going to take care of these quests in, because they're all next to each other. There's no point in zigzagging around. So that's where I'm going after there. Um, and I should mention, um, yeah, Michael, what you're mentioning about, I'm not doing any of the demon stuff in this campaign. There's no Levistus, there's no Asmodeus. I, it's just too much to add. I want to keep things focused on um, Aural and Aetherin and the Arcane Brotherhood. I think that's all really good stuff. And I think all the demon stuff is just too much to add in there for no real payoff. Unless you wanted to go in a different direction and make it all about the demon stuff in, in your campaign, which is what could be cool. But I'm erasing all of that. There's no... They're not... There's no demons infused with Shardlin or any of that. Instead, Shardlin is just pieces of Aetherin that broke off when it crashed. And then because it's fused with ancient magic, it just has that corrupting nature on people that don't have the willpower to uh, withstand it and be able to wield it because it's just ancient and it broke. And so it's like leaking, whatever. It's for reasons. <laughs> so there's no demon influence there. It's just that they're worshiping this or utilizing this power that is only a mere fraction of the power that Aetherin represents. It's kind of what Charlotte is in my campaign. Uh, so they'll get the Chorus quest. I don't have a whole... It's not like they're going to go to the inn and investigate. It's just they're going to get all this information. They're going to get a rumor. They're going to level up. And then they will move on to uh, Kelvin's Cairn. Which I would just let them stock up on some mountain gear, I guess, from Tourmaline. I mean, presumably. The better place to be to get gear, and it even mentions that, is Kerkonig. Um, but... Oh, well, presumably you should be able to get mountain gear in most of these towns. I mean, this is the fucking tundra filled with mountains. Given that it changes over time, every other session they make a save for the first week or two of game time. From there on, I have the time. They have the, half the time be less or increase the DC. Just so, yeah. And we're still thinking like charisma save because that represents willpower, maybe. I feel like there should be some saves made. I just don't know, and I'll have to figure that out in terms of the balance level, how often to do that, and then what was what is the risk-reward there if, if they choose to use any of these items. Um, so, we've got a journey uh, across the tundra to Mountain Climb, which is interesting. This is a Chapter 1 mission, and yet it's technically not in Ten Towns. It's in uh, the... Kelvin's Cairn, Giant-Ass Mountain, which is a solid, like, ten miles out. I guess it's only... Five miles from Kerkonig, but it is uh, nine miles from Tourmaline, so we've got a nine-mile journey. Now, the players, um, I'm using pretty much the normal travel rules. I don't really want to turn this into a slog when it comes to traveling around the area. We already did the slog with Tomb of Annihilation, so again, I'm not interested with doing a, a big uh, you know, hex crawl or anything like that. Um, on the roads and under normal conditions, the players can travel three miles an hour, which I think is 24 miles a day, going eight hours. 
in not great conditions, which would be over the snowy tundra like this, you can go two miles an hour. Um, so it would still take you, uh, what is that, four and a half, five hours or so across the tundra, which is definitely seems appropriate. Are you getting stuck in there? Uh, seems appropriate for an encounter. So, what's my rule on encounters? Well, I... Uh, I don't want to throw just random encounters for random encounters' sake. Um, although, you, what I like doing is using the most flavored encounters, ones that have to do with, you know, teasing the plot out or using just interesting, you know, creatures or events that would be of interest to the players. Like, I definitely want to do the one where the they see Aver, uh, what's her name, the, the Ancient White Dragon, which is a, a cool tease for the Dark Duchess scenario. Uh, but I don't want to do her this close to Ten Towns. It wouldn't make sense for the dragon to be this close. But that's that would be a non-combat encounter, for example. Um, there is one called the Battlehammer Dwarves, which um, are uh, have the Dwarven Valley as their home. So I thought, okay... I want to I want to tease the Shardolin. I like the dwarves. The dwarves are not a combat encounter. So what if the players are traveling to Kelvin's Cairn? They go a couple hours, and they meet up ahead. They see a bunch of dwarves, a bunch being like half a dozen, and they've got one of their own dwarves, uh, like manacled and chained. I haven't decided how much, how carefully this person is imprisoned. Um, but almost like uh, somebody's transporting a very dangerous prisoner and they're just kind of walking across the tundra. They're, you know, maybe a mile or two out from one of the entrances to the Dwarven Valley, which is full of, you know, the Dwarven mines and homes and stuff. Um, and what's happened is, you know, the Shardland is just becoming more and more prevalent because, you know, years ago, Valish Gant started um, excavating this stuff and it's just started, you know, bubbling to the surface for whatever reason. And the dwarves have been finding this as they've been mining, and it's been causing problems for them. And, of course, if somebody finds one and they, uh, you know, latch onto it and treat it like, you know, Gollum in the ring, um, it slowly corrupts them and they become crazy and become eventually a Charlotte Berserker, which is like the ultimate stage of corruption is you've just gone psychotic. You've lost your mind. Uh, and that's what's happened here. So I want to introduce a scenario where the players come across these dwarves who have a basically a captured Shardland Berserker that they are leading out into the tundra because um, I think I'm going to flavor it like the dwarves are like giving it over to the Frost Maiden. And I don't know how much these dwarves would actually worship Aurel, but given that they are obviously, along with everybody else, aware of the conditions of this region, which is the permanent you know, night, and a lot of people are blaming or, or you know, invoking Aurel as the reason for this happening is, um, and, and maybe they're even blaming the fact that this dwarf has gone crazy on the Frostmaiden, or they're thinking maybe the Frostmaiden can heal uh, this crazed person. Like, for whatever reason, they are basically marching this crazed dwarf, this psychotic dwarf, out into the wilderness, and they're going to leave him out here and just basically let the Frostmaiden decide his fate. So, yeah, kind of like Hannibal Lecter. Um, I was picturing uh, one of my favorite bad movies, which is uh, Con Air, where I think they introduce uh, Steve Buscemi's character like that. It's very Hannibal Lecter-ish, where they've got like all the long you know, sticks, and he's got this big contraption. Everybody's really afraid of him, and it's just fucking Steve Buscemi in there. <laughs> he was a nasty serial killer. Um, so that's, 
I figured a way I can introduce a, a CR4 Shardland Berserker to a level 3 party, because they'd be level 3 now, is by having him start off uh, captured by these dwarves, and then there would probably be a little bit of a dialogue sequence where the players are like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, start them off pretty close together. You can see they're about 40 feet apart, I think, here. Um, but then I would trigger a cutscene probably right in the middle of this dialogue sequence where the Berserker frees itself. It gets like super... Basically, maybe it goes crazy because of the players being close by and it senses, I don't know, whatever reason, magic or something. Um, and it just steals the nearest weapons from these dwarves, which it, it mentions the fact that these dwarves are, has the scout stat block, but they have hand axes and, and light crossbows. Uh, which, by the way, this is not a token. This is the scout token is obviously showing like a, a female dwarf. Uh, sorry, uh, like an elf, um, which would not fit what I'm trying to create here. So I used uh, this. I believe is from I don't know where this, this is. One of the roll twenty tokens from the subscription sets. It might be from Icewind Dale. It might be from something else. But I thought this actually fit pretty well. Uh, which is why the token uh, framing looks different too. Maybe it's from the player's handbook. Um, and there's going to be a cutscene where he basically uh, turns around, steals the... You know, he does the cool prisoner thing, right? Like, he steals the his captor's weapons, he murders the shit out of, like, one or two of them, and then just charges the player screaming, and then they have to roll for initiative. So, what this means is that, um, A, there's only one of them. B, the players technically have allies in this situation, because as I'm going, I, I'm, I'm maybe creating two or three dwarves that can help the players... Uh, and C, the Charlon Berserker is not going to have uh, his um, actual Charlon weapon because he's been captured. He's been stripped of actually the Charlon thing. However, I figure once it's been once you've been corrupted this far along, it, you probably don't even need to be necessarily near, near the Charlon anymore. It's just permanently like damaged your psyche. Um, so maybe they, you know, maybe they can talk about the fact that they found, you know, the stone and took it away from him, and and maybe the dwarves have realize that or maybe maybe not maybe i'll let the players make that um investigation check where they find it still like maybe woven into his beard or something that the dwarves didn't realize and and uh and what's interesting here is this should feed into edmund's backstory who is uh specifically interested in shardlin and researching shardlin he's learned about shardlin and kind of starting to learn what it can do and its powers and uh he's being hunted by the arcane brotherhood because they want to keep that shit under wraps um, as much as they can, as does really the uh, this cult of the black swords as well. That might actually be the better one to send after him, uh, because they want to keep that shit to themselves for sure. Um, so I added a hand axe to the bye, Michael, uh, to the Shardlin Berserker, so he does not have his uh, flail, which has the extra. Uh, poisoning chance instead it's just going to be a regular hand axe because literally he is he's been stripped of his weapon so he's just stealing the hand axe off of the uh the dwarves so hopefully this won't be too hard because it's still a freaking cr4 and one thing i could do is reduce the hit points um but uh you know hit points the players don't know that so i figure i can always just play with hit points and if it gets too crazy i can just have them you know, A, I can have them just kill the Berserker, or B, I can have it trigger his uh, Shardlin Madness, which is technically supposed to be rolling a D6 at the, end, at the beginning of each turn. I'm not going to fucking do that. If it just gets too crazy and it's the Shard and it's his turn, I'll just have him, I'll just have that be triggered. But that'll be, that'll be part of the DM, like, balancing things on the fly, basically. Uh, just for funsy, let's roll his hit points, though. Let's see what we end up. 
Dear God. 97. That is... That is a lot. He's not that strong, but again, he's got three attacks, and he's got so many hit points where he will stick around for rounds and rounds and rounds of craziness. Yes, action economy will be in the player's favor. The thing is, what's interesting here, and this is what I mentioned before, is that when you use these kind of monsters, which are just people with super stat blocks, like gladiators, like, uh, what's another good example? Uh, veterans, maybe. You know, the CR4, the CR5, like, just, they're just people, but they've got really good stat blocks. Those trip the players up because they can't look at it. You know, they see an ogre, they see a giant, they see a, you know, a young dragon, and they instantly know, like, a general power level and know what they should be expending on their turns. But you just see, like, I just described this dude who's running at you crazy. You know, they're just gonna be like, oh, we'll just lazily fire at him and shoot him and see if he goes down. And he's not gonna fucking go down. He's gonna keep charging them. He's gonna take all this damage. And I'm really gonna flavor it like he's taking a lot of damage, but it just doesn't affect his mind or his powers at all. And he just starts swinging at him, and he gets three attacks. And then the player's going to start being like, oh, shit, we actually need to, like, go hard on this guy. So I'm hoping that'll be more fun than frustrating for them. Um, and they will be newly level three, so it won't be, you know, it's still only one dude at level four. Um, and I'm using his, so it's basically going to use a surprise round to do that cutscene, which is uh, stealing, the stealing the hand axe, murdering, you know, one or two dwarves. I haven't really decided. You can see here I've got one dead. And then the other dwarves will be able to... Uh, I'll roll initiative for them as well, and they'll be able to use their light crossbow against him. So in addition to whatever the players are doing, you know, probably the two dwarves who are, who have been, you know, standing on either side will be able to pitch in by shooting um, their light crossbows. I don't know if that would actually give them multi-attack. That seems like a little too strong for NPC allies, especially because the players don't have multi-attack yet. So I'm probably going to only have them attack... Uh, the one time and shoot once with their crossbows. But, you know, plus four, average six damage. That should help quite a bit. Yes. The, yeah, I know. That's the one I always think of, Lumpy, is that is why that fight was so hard for the players because it was just a bunch of pirates. Like, they don't know. They think, okay, it's just a bunch of little bandits or something. And then that one dude is like a, a three attack, you know, big hit point guy. And it was really devastating for the players. Um, this dude does not have much in the way of armor. But, uh, as you can see, an absolute mess of hit points, which is nuts. 97 is crazy. So, that's what's going to be this, and that's really going to be their only encounter. Um, I could, you know, throw a blizzard in there if I wanted to. Um, but I think I might do that when they get closer to the mountain, maybe. Because I do want to have it be dangerous crossing over land. Um, but I figure the... If you're going to cross over the tundra, uh, you know, the Valley of the Dwarves is probably actually one of the safer places, right? Because it's constantly patrolled by the dwarves. They've been there for a while. Um, I figure that's actually almost as safe as being on the roads because of what they can do. And this is a fun way of saying, oh, the dwarves are having their own problems. You know, they've got this corruption spreading. This is not meant to be a big, like, oh, follow us to the, you know... Valley of the Dwarves and help us with our quest. This is just meant to kind of tease the corrupting power of, of Shardalan and also tease how strong one of these insane Shardalan Berserkers is so that when later the players meet a couple of them, it's like, oh shit, now we're really in trouble. And even if they've got their own special, you know, Shardalan weapons, so that's an interesting way that I'm kind of on purpose nerfing this one quite a bit. I don't know if I want to give him legendary action, though. It's just, it's not meant to be this big, powerful boss fight. It's just, I think he's going to stick around for a while, even with 
all the players doing their things and these dwarves shooting him. Like, he has got so many hit points, he's going to last for two or three rounds. Well, should have napped when he had a chance, dude. That's what I'm saying. Oh. Should have napped when you had a chance. But I think that's going to be the only mountain encounter. Um, however, we do have... Um, the mountain climb mission itself, which is obviously full of a ton of different events, uh, which I've kind of broken up into different bullet points that I want to hit. And I thought that the uh, base camp, which is the first thing they get to, which I believe you actually, because they don't have a guide, um, they have to roll a survival check to even find it, or else that could incur uh, exhaustion as they just go around this mountain trying to find a way up. And that's kind of, that would be the same thing that... Uh, you know, the blizzard would do it would just be a survival check, basically, or I guess it'd be a con save against uh, incurring exhaustion. So I figure I can do that for the base camp. Mention it because I'm not doing the dog <laughs> thing. Um, what does it mention? Targos to Kelvin's Cairn. Uh, I spend eight hours searching for the camp on their own, finding it with a successful DC 15 survival group check. So I guess you all roll survival checks, and then you see if the average is higher than 15 or not. And if it fails, they can repeat after another eight hours of looking. It doesn't mention there's any failure for repeat, but I would say, okay, that's an exhaustion check because you're spending, you know, a good chunk of the rest of your day trying to do that. Um, the base camp, they're meant to just find the rest of the sled dogs there. Oh, my goodness. Are we starting to get too fussy? Oh, we're starting to get too um, it could be an opportunity to throw another encounter in there. <laughs> How many encounters do I want to use? If we break up Mountain Climb into um, encounters, they've uh, got the base camp, which has no encounters, as written. You just you, you find the sled dogs there. You've got these goats, which is not an encounter. You just see these mountain goats. I guess it, it says they turn off if the characters attack them, but I don't know why that would happen. Um, and Avalanche does count as an encounter, because that's something the players have to deal with, and it's kind of a trap. The Fallen Climber becomes an encounter. That's where they discover the guide, who is based out of, I think, Care... I guess he's the one from Targos, isn't he? He's the, the one with the sled dogs and the guide and stuff. Um, that becomes an encounter because you save him, and then you're attacked by Crag Cats, which will be a great encounter to introduce the Crag Cats. Uh, I would obviously use more than two. Um, the Perilous Climb is an encounter because that's a group check. And that's another one where you can gain exhaustion. And then, of course, the Frozen Cave potentially has multiple encounters because you've got the Mama Yeti, Baby Yeti, and one of the party members from the other group there. And then Daddy Yeti shows up uh, at the end of that. So there's already quite a bit the players are having to handle. And remember, there's no... Um... Oh, yeah, she's got a little Batman <laughs> onesie. Or a Batgirl, I guess. Um, she's, uh, she's, um, the, this encounter with the, uh, Shardle and Berserker counts as basically their first encounter of the mission because they're not going to get any long rests between now and when they get to the top of Kelvin's Cairn, obviously. So I think they might already have enough, but what I thought would be interesting is if the base camp is just empty and instead maybe there's a snowy owl bear just like rooting through, you know, the camp and, uh, you know, trying to look for food and stuff. So it becomes a optional encounter for, depending on how the players want to treat the situation, they could try to stealth past it. 
they could try and, you know, use animal hand, like Edmund could try to use his animal handling skills somehow again. Um, they could try to frighten it away. They could try to distract it. They could try to fight it. You know, it gives the players different options um, by by giving them the information ahead of time and just saying, hey, you see the base camp, you see where they went up the trail, but there's this big snowy owl bear kind of just wandering around, you know, in the camp. How do you want to deal with that? Um, and maybe... And this is one of those interesting situations where it's like, do you even show them the map yet or not? It's kind of the base camp map I've got, which I guess it should be snowier, but this is the... This was the snow camp map I had. Oh my goodness. Are you thinking you've got some regrets for not napping? Interested anymore? My crafting? Um, but yeah, I think it'd be fun to include a snowy owl bear in there, which would be, what is it, under Wilderness Encounters, which I think is just has the stat block of an owl bear. Where are you under? S for snowy. Thank y'all for bearing with a crying baby, by the way. It's just been a little stressful for me, but she's been all right so far. Snowy Owlbears is a CR3. I think it's just a normal Owlbear stat block. Um, but, I, you know, we actually haven't used Owlbears in a long time. I think we used one for, like, Lost Mine of Fandover, and then I can't remember the next time we used an Owlbear. And I'm pretty sure I didn't run it correctly then, because that was our first D&D game from years ago. So if they just want to attack it, it's pretty nasty. But it is just a regular beast. Intelligence 3, like... They can do different things. They could even try to calm it down and then do, like, speak with animals or something. Like, I don't know what kind of powers or scrolls they've got at this point, but that could be a thing they could do. Actually, it's not a beast, is it? It's a monstrosity. Owlbears are not naturally occurring. A monstrosity, but it is, like, the intelligence of a beast. Interestingly enough. Uh, so, yeah, that would be a case of... Technically, it's an encounter, but it also gives the players a choice, optional, on how they want to deal with it, and that would be at the base camp. So, we've got the... You know, for next session, we've got the Korra's loss, which is just going to be another <laughs> quest lead that they're going to get. We've got uh, the Shardolin Berserker Dwarf thing, which will tease the Shardolin Black Ice and uh, definitely give the players a combat encounter there. We're going to have the Snowy Owlbear at the base camp, which they may have exhaustion uh, with three owlbears and princes. Oh, boy. Thank you for that. I don't even remember. <laughs> but I believe you. Um, which could be an encounter or could not but i'm hopefully the players will expend at least some kind of resource but maybe they'll be smart and and use skill checks and stuff i don't know uh and then once they make it up the mountain i guess i can keep the goats as it is i thought it'd be a fun thing is to use the goats as like a surprise thing where they like bleat and then the players have to roll like a deck save or something or fall so essentially it's mechanically the same as a trap <laughs> but it's just goats popping up and basically frightening you know the players, so I thought that, and that kind of becomes an encounter at that point. Um, then they have to deal with the avalanche, and then uh, meeting Garrett plus the crag cat fight. And this is a lot of content, and we're also leveling up, so I doubt we're going to get that far in this session. But I'm planning for all this because, you know, who knows how far they're exactly going to get. Um, and this is all leading towards, which I'll talk about this a little more next time. So obviously we'll be talking about you know mountain climb for a couple sessions is I'm combining Mountain Climb and the Adventuring Party with Dazan, who is the one of the Arcane Brotherhood sorcerers, or wizards, I guess. 
Um, and in my campaign, Dazan has, uh, well, he's found the Lost Spire of Netheril, which he did in that campaign, and it's all about a kind of a, a cloning thing where he can produce a simulacrum of himself, and that, I'm changing all that to where the Lost Spire of Netheril actually includes a cloning machine, and he's been cloning himself over and over and over again, and creating more debilitating and evil versions of clones, but he was able to find it because he climbed to the top of Hikelman's Cairn and was able to, um, literally physically see it there. But maybe he had to use some kind of arcane device, you know, to look far and be able to see it. Um, and maybe, you know, the players will find some kind of journal entry that'll talk about that. Because I don't want them to find the Lost Spire yet, but I do want them to give a hint that, um, you know, it's somewhere and maybe he had some, you know, device that allowed him to see it. The problem is then how do I introduce the Lost Spire in the future, but still make it so Mountain Climb was an important part of this quest chain. So I haven't quite determine how to do that yet. In other words, I do want them to be able to find Lost Spire eventually, but I don't want to necessarily put it on their map right now because they are not ready to go there yet, and I want to make that part of the second act I'm producing and not necessarily this first one, which is should keep them in the Ten Towns um, area. Do underestimate your player. Yes, I do. They are very clever. Remember quickly, they took down the Wolves of level 2. Maybe two Halberds protecting a small one. Give them something to think about. That's true. Um... <laughs> I mean, I could always ratchet up the difficulty in a lot of these things, but in this case, you know, I'm going through all the different encounters, and I think there's enough quantity here where each individual encounter doesn't have to be that powerful. Yes, I don't necessarily want the players to just defeat everything on the first round. You know, I would like at least to get a few hits in and, and, and you know, increase that tension, but this is going to be basically mountain, you know, Kevin's Cairn is basically a dungeon crawl. It just doesn't have a singular dungeon. You're just going through all these different steps. And it's actually pretty fun for the DM to prep because it's a very linear path they have to follow, and it's a series of unfortunate events that happen against uh, the players. You know, they have to deal with an avalanche. They have to deal with a bleeding goat. They have to find, uh, you know, they find the fallen climber, and then they're attacked by crag cats. You know, these are all just <laughs> things that happen, which also means I need uh, maps for all these things. Thank you. I <laughs> know, you're a very tired baby. You're a very tired baby. Alright, so I think I need to actually wrap this crafting up a little early because we've got Senor, Senorita Krabby Pants here uh, who refused to take a nap. But at least you let me get through most of crafting, I'll give you that. So, to reiterate, um, you know, we'll level up to three, we'll do Korra's Loss, we'll do that... I know, baby. We're gonna do that Shardolin uh, Berserker Dwarf Encounter. Get to the camp. Um, we can talk about that more, you know, in the Discord chat or something about the snowy owl bear. Okay, okay. And then we'll see how far we get to uh, Kelvin's Cairn and the actual mountain climb. But I, I presume this whole area will take us probably three full sessions to get to from there. Okay, sweet girl, you are so done with my so done with my shit right now. All right, all right. So uh, that's gonna wrap things up for this week's crafting Icewind Dale. By the way, patrons. Uh, we got DM Roundtable tonight for uh, recording. Uh, I'll see you then for that. Uh, if you enjoyed the content, check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shout out to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Manuel, Wizard, Princess, Christopher, Thomas, Captain Mike, Adam, Aiden, Instant Lose, Mog, and Roger. Don't y'all want to be parents? It's so fun. Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercraft, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcos, David, Vicente, Gilberto, Desert, Lounge, Sam, Rumpf, Luffy's Buds, Jerome, Fatboy, Six Wines, Clinic, Barney, McButter, Rance, Blood, Angel, Bronze, Batman, Boom, Shock, Nathan, and Fast Like a Tortoise. <laughs> Thank you all so much for your support.